On today's episode of the VATV podcast, we sit down with Coach Daryl Hardcastle. He teaches me about what to expect for when my child is born in September, explains why it's just as important to be a follower as it is to be a leader, and we finish up by answering some of the questions in the mailbag. So without further ado, here we go. We're going to welcome on Coach Daryl Hardcastle. Coach, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Um, this is our, I mean, I feel like I've worked here. This is my fourth year working here. Um, this is your what? This this coming year will be 16 in Van Alstine, 41 okay. overall. So pretty, pretty long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like of four years, you and I have always had like conversation like in passing, but we've never had like a sit down conversation before. That's correct. So... <laughs> Whenever I was, I was asking my students, my old students, like Boone Cannon and Casey, the guys, the girls, guys and girls who just graduated, I was like, who should I have on? And they gave me a list. They gave me a list. But then I posted on Instagram. I was like, who should I interview? And it was an overwhelming, like, everyone wanted Hardcastle. It was like, I got, I got like 47 responses and about one fourth of them were you, wow. <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Cause I feel like you and I've never even had like a serious conversation before no we just I, like well opposite halls yeah seriously. <laughs> so. um so that's pretty cool everyone wanted to hear from you um so because we've never like talked i've heard a little bit of your stories from like teacher in service and whenever you get the mic and you have to go talk in front of everybody mm-hmm. but for those of for those of our listeners who haven't like heard from you give us the rundown of your life like where'd you grow up um What'd you do? Where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go after high school? All that stuff. Give it. Give us a. Give us a rundown of your life. Okay. Um, my mother was 15 when she found out she was pregnant with me, and my father was also 15 at that time. Uh, she, my grandmother, took her to Roswell, New Mexico, and I became. Uh, well, I went with her, obviously, and so I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. After that. Um, my Real parent? quick, I went to yes. Roswell over the summer. Uh, me and my wife did a road trip through New Mexico. Right. Roswell is so weird yeah. because it's a bunch of aliens. Right. It's like the if aliens invaded the world, it would be in Roswell. Right, and I believe, I believe that most of the freshmen that I've had believe that I am an alien because of some of the stuff that I do in class it freaks <laughs> them out. So, and if, okay, go on. So, anyway, I was born in Roswell. Uh, my parents went back to California to finish high school, they weren't married yet. And so I, I lived with my grandmother in Roswell for the first year of my life. And then uh, they came back and got me, got married. And then uh, by the age of 20, they had four children. I have three younger sisters. And I ended up moving to California when I was approximately four. And so I was raised in California, a little town about the size of Van Alstine called French Camp. I went to, uh, East Union High School in Manteca, California, which is in the San Joaquin Valley. I went to Black Hill State University uh, to play football and baseball. Yeah, that's in South Dakota, Spearfish, South Dakota. So that's what I did there. Um, I got married in, at 19 years old to uh, my one and only blind date in my life. Uh, my college roommate was dating her roommate, and 
she had asked her, she goes, hey, have you dated any of the football players? And he, she said no, and he pointed at me at the cafeteria. Well, I was 5'9", uh, I'm two inches shorter, and uh, I weighed 152. And he pointed at me, he goes, how about that one over there? And she said, no, 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 a real football player. <laughs> so, so anyway, we ended up getting married uh, a year and a half later. Uh, and I, was, I had transferred to University of California, Davis, my sophomore year because a baseball coach that I had in California told me that I was good, you know, I had a better chance of being drafted if I stayed in California. Well, I went to Davis, I hated it, um, and I was miserable, so I, she had moved to another town above Sacramento, so I went up to her apartment, and I told her, uh, I said, hey, I'm going back to Black Hills. She said, see ya, we're done. I said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, why don't you go as my, what, what if you went as my wife? And she said, what? And I said, will you marry me? She goes, when? I said, well, how about next Saturday? So we got married seven days later in the heart of Reno Chapel uh, mm -hmm. on March 27th, 1976. Wow. So we've been married 44 years. Dang. So, yeah. So anyway, so we had, uh, we were going to wait to have children. And uh, about, a, uh, about nine months into our marriage, I'm walking up the uh, steps and she's crying. I went, uh-oh. And that's what she was crying about. We were, yeah. So we were pregnant, had uh, our second child before I graduated. So, wow. so we had two children by the time I graduated college. Wow. So, and then after that, I went, uh, went back. I tried, couldn't find a teaching job anywhere. That's what I wanted to do. And Real, okay, so when you mentioned you wanted to get drafted, like to the NFL? Baseball, yeah, baseball. baseball MLB. Right, right. Were you good enough? I, well, I, I, I had a really good career. I was, I, you know, all, all, all conference for four years, and there's a region there. I was all that. I, I even got inducted into the school's Hall of Fame in mm. 2008. So for that, but I football football I was uh, I was a, a decent football player. I started my last two years and and played. It wasn't a big school, but what, what positions? I was a wide receiver in football and I played center field in baseball. Okay. So yeah, it, that was that was my passion. I don't know if I'd have gone to college to be honest with you had it not been for athletics. Uh, even though I was a really good student, uh, college wasn't something that I because nobody in my family had ever gone. Mm -hmm. So I was the first one to do that. Wow. And. So we did, and we, we moved back to California because I couldn't find a job, so I came, quote-unquote, home, and that was a bad decision for 20 years. <laughs> so I finally did get a teaching job, uh, and I uh, just finished my I, – I taught there 19 years, and I just finished my 40th year. Wow. Where was the teaching job at? <laughs> Believe it or not, it was in the same town. Uh, the last 16 of the 19 – the first three were a junior – or a middle school – Mm -hmm. And the last 16 were at the high school I graduated from. I actually was the first student to go back to the high school and teach there. So I was teaching with all the the teachers that, that were my you. teachers. Uh -huh. It was a little bizarre. Yeah. But uh, I did that for 16 years, mm -hmm. or 19 total in California. And, and I had uh, three children. We have three children, uh, 43. Vonda's 43. She lives in California. She has two daughters. One's a sophomore in high school. We have 10 grandkids. Uh, <laughs> Our son, daughter Jessie lives in uh, Alabama, and she went to Mississippi State and was a volleyball player in uh, track through the mm -hmm. disc camera javelin. She has four children, yeah. and she is a sophomore and a freshman, or the, her oldest. And then my son James is a real estate broker. In uh, uh, he has a company called the Real Estate Project in Frisco. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. He actually taught at VA for a year. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And uh, he, in 2007 or eight, somewhere around right there. Yes. You guys taught together? I got to coach with him, too. It was, oh, that's, it no, was great. that's so cool. But my son's smarter than I, and he, uh, he realized that there's no money in teaching. Mm-hmm. And plus, he said he didn't know how I dealt with parents. He said, how do you do that? So he, he now is doing quite well for himself. Mm-hmm. But that's what fit him. Yeah. It really did. That fit him way better than, mm-hmm. than, even though he was a good teacher. He was really good at it, but that's not what he, what he you know. Some people have a proclivity for other things, and yeah. he did. So. And he has four children. Wow. And so our first six grand, our first six grandchildren were girls. Uh-huh. Then we had a boy, and then a girl, and then two more boys. So, yeah. so uh, there, my Jesse's forty-one and JT's thirty-nine. So my youngest child's thirty-nine. So I teach with most of the people that I teach with are old enough to be my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean I'm old enough. How old is your oldest grandchildren? Grandchild? My oldest grandchild is fifteen. Two of them. Okay, so I'm twenty-eight. So okay. if I was your grandchild, yeah. that'd be a little concerning. You know, wow. but you easy, well, you, right. So I could be your kid. That's what everyone tells her, though. It, Tinsley, right next door, she's like, you, you could be my kid. You remind me so much of, of my son. And her, I think her son's name is Mark, too. She has, she has, she has several. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All great kids, by the way. Everyone, everyone. Even Miss Mitchell next door to me, she's like, you remind me so much of Lane, who's her son. Uh, yeah. I, I don't get tired of hearing it, but it is like... I get it. Like I'm young. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we were all there one time, but That's I promise true. you this: it will go incredibly fast because it has. I just turned. Me. I just turned 28, and I was like, God, I'm in my late 20s now, <laughs> and it feels like just yesterday, which is such an old person thing to say. It feels like just yesterday I was back in college, and because I like my friend from college is coming in town later this evening to hang out, and I was like, I don't know. When I think like of times with me and my friend, it was like. I was 24, 23. We were playing Ultimate Frisbee together in college. But now I'm like, God, that was five years ago. <laughs> and you're having your first child at 28? Child. Yeah, 28. Yeah. So we were 21 when we had our first one. Yeah, we waited yeah. a little bit longer yeah. than you guys did. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I think God has a really great sense of humor because we definitely tried not to have children. Mm-hmm. And we, were, we have three children all on birth control. So, really? Yeah. Nice. So that, that there's no such thing as 100%. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Yeah, which is God would change it. Obviously, uh-huh. it's it's been probably the best thing in my life is is that. Other yeah. than my wife, she's unbelievable. Uh-huh. So. My uh, my wife, her name's Kinsley. Whenever Kinsley's parents, um, whenever we got married, Kinsley. Well, sorry, let me retract. Kinsley's parents uh, had kids probably about the same rate as you guys did. Same like uh, pretty early on in their marriage, um, they had four. Um, but whenever me and Kinsley got married, they were like, "When are you guys having kids? When are you guys having kids?" And we just wanted to wait a little bit. Like we enjoyed being married. Um, we wanted to, I don't do the, all the stereotypical things that a young marriage wants to do, travel, <laughs> save up money, be financially stable. And fortunately, like we've gotten to be like, we've gotten, we've checked off all the boxes right. and it was very much a like, well, now what? Like we feel <laughs> like we've been doing the same thing for the past year. Like what can we do? And we, so we wanted to have a baby. And so it's due September 17th. So three months and five days from today. I, I promise you this. I even texted you when I, saw, I mm-hmm. said, your life's about to change. Mm-hmm. And in, in a very good way. It'll, there, there are going to be times when you go, oh, no, am I w- equipped for this? Uh, no one is yeah. until you get there. And then you find out it's, they're, not, they're not 16. You're not dealing with teenagers. You're dealing with an infant. And then they grow. And so do you at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. So... 
Coach yeah. Emery, he just had a baby, mm-hmm. and that's what I, we've been texting a lot. And he's he's been like just giving feet, like sending me pictures and just telling me like, dude, I had to wake up at eleven. I had to wake up at seven. I had to wake yada 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 like to deal with this to deal with Daxton, his boy. And I'm just like, and my best friend, his name is John. He just had a baby in January. And so we've been living vicariously through them. They've been like giving us notes. Hey, whenever you make sure you register for this, make sure you do that. And so I was, it was funny because uh, two days ago, so my wife is like, she doesn't, she doesn't have, she deleted her Twitter, deleted her Instagram. She was like, I don't want to, there's so much negativity going on. I just want to get off of it, which is totally cool. I respect that. But with our baby registry, she reads everywhere. Don't post your baby registry online. I don't know why you don't, don't do it. I said, you know what? I don't even care. I'm going to do it. So I posted it and I was like, please buy us stuff. We have no idea what the heck we're doing. Buy us whatever you want. And not thinking anyone would actually buy something because it came off kind of beggy. And sure enough, people started, like my yearbook rep for this school bought us something. Uh, <laughs> my mentor teacher over at McKinney High bought us three gifts. I was like, good night. People are just buying us whatever we want. So everyone listening out there, I don't care if I come across as begging. I am so desperate. We have no idea what the heck we're about to do. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate any and all donations. Well, I, this is not a donation thing, but I can tell you what you would train them to sleep. And you get them on routines. It's fabulous. All, all three of my kids do that. And when their kids were little, they'd say, okay, bedtime. And they trained them to do that. There's books out there to mm-hmm. do that. But boom, they just go to bed. And it's like, wow. My wife, my, my, wife, my mom told me, she came over yesterday, and she was like, "When you're treat, when you're teaching them to sleep, teach them to sleep in kind of loud environments mm-hmm. because if they're su- if they're only sleeping when it's quiet, right. if you so much as laugh, they're gonna wake up. So teach them like not necessarily vacuum around it, but like no, we don't have, be afraid we, to be loud. We have we're grandparents and we have a noisemaker. So we have our youngest grandchild's not four yet, and we he he goes to bed and we turn that." And there, so there's a white noise, mm-hmm. fans, all of all my kids, yeah. <laughs> fans. And when we raised them, there, we used to put fans in our rooms uh-huh. because of that very reason. Yeah, it's that that noise, and it does help them very much. Yeah, it's something we want to we want to try out because I'm not I am not quiet by any means. I play NBA 2K at full volume in my living room. I don't even care. My wife watches Shark Tank at full volume in the other living room. We're loud. Uh, okay, so how'd you get to Texas? Okay. Uh, well, see, I, 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 got, I got my master's degree in 1986, and I was thinking about doing administration, and then I decided, no, nah, I'm a classroom guy. So uh, I left. My son got a baseball scholarship to Mississippi State, and I wanted out of California. We wanted out of California pretty much the whole time we were what there. What part of California were you in? It's Northern California, in the San Joaquin Valley. So it's for a- kids who... I, my first year teaching, everyone was like, I just want to move out of Texas. I want to get out of Texas. I want. I can't wait to leave. And they're always like, I want to go to California. Can you explain to them, not necessarily why that might be a bad idea, but like explain to them the cost of living to a, te- to a teenager. Sure. Uh, one, the weather's, weather's pretty good. That's, that's, a, that's the positive. And there's some really beautiful places, but uh, it is very expensive. I'll, gas is probably double mm-hmm. at times it's oh, sometimes absolutely. it's not sometimes it's dollar and a half more but gas is one example um housing costs are real high mm-hmm. uh, it's it's nuts and then um i'm a i'm i fit texas more because i'm very conservative and so i fit texas more politically mm-hmm. so that i like that part um if you're in california if you live 
say you want to live in a city, you might live in a box. Your room back there, that mm -hmm. little room where you have your equipment, yeah. that for some people, that's what they, they stay in. Mm -hmm. so they rent, they rent like U-Hauls and things to stay in just yeah. because it's so expensive in those cities. Yep. And they make, they make, they do make good money, but you spend a lot of money. My daughter, my oldest daughter still lives there now and she, mm. they spend a lot of money. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a very expensive place to play, uh, mm -hmm. play, play. Well, yeah. that's it. Or go, yeah, and play. So, Dang. yeah. Okay, so, so, you, so. Then, continue. well, I went to Mississippi when, when JT went to uh, uh, Mississippi State, we had two kids there. Mm -hmm. And our, our daughter, other daughter was working in California. We wanted out, we left. So Don and I went to uh, Ocean Springs, Mississippi on the Gulf Coast. Mm -hmm. And I taught and coached there for six years. Mm -hmm. And then um, we moved up here. Uh, I had interviewed, I did not interview. I just came and visited here because I was visiting uh, our daughter, Jessie at the time lived in McKinney. Mm -hmm. So we were visiting and um, she had, she told me about the school. She goes, you ought to go talk to someone. So Ran Randy Matthews was the football coach at the time and athletic director. And I met him and I just talked to him. Mm -hmm. And so that was it. And then the next year I come and in, in the Mississippi Gulf Coast, they have three days for Mardi Gras yeah. on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Well, that's during school here, but they, cause they don't have it up here, but they did there. So I was off. So we came to see our daughter. Well, I came to this school when they just built this school. Mm -hmm. That was, I was visiting. And I, I told John Williamson, who was the, or the principal at the time, I said, John, I want to come work here. And he said, uh, I don't have any openings. And I'm, I, I'm a, a Christian who has these, I have certain faith things. And I said, John, I said, you will. And he laughed. He goes, Daryl, I don't. I said, you will. And about a month later, he called me and he goes, this is John Williams. I said, you got a job for me, don't you, John? He goes, well, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's how I got here. And uh, I've been here, just, like I said, I did just finished year 15. What all subjects have you taught here at VA? Um, world geography. Mm -hmm. um, speech pretty much the whole whole time uh, it, during my first year here I was teaching world geography and whenever we finished a test and there was some time left or something like that I would teach sociology type things mm -hmm. and I called it weight training w-a-i-t mm -hmm. training yeah and so the kids the juniors I jun that's when juniors were taking world geography saying oh I love this stuff yeah and I said well if we had a sociology class I could teach it Mm -hmm. And so for some reason, they, I didn't know they were doing this. They, when they signed up for classes that year, they signed, put my name and put sociology. Huh. And so the counselor at the time asked, told John, said, all these kids are signing up for sociology. He goes, give them the classes. So nice. I ended up with two classes. That's so cool. <laughs> so, you were like a, you were like a writing. Like a writing, yeah, writing, writing <laughs> class. So that, that's what, I, that's, that's the class that makes my heart beat. Because I get to, I, I don't approach it like the sociology classes you take in college. Mm -hmm. If they go take a sociology class in college, it's not oh, like mine. Because mine is, I try to make everything I teach relevant to their life. Are, are you going to be able to use what I'm teaching you mm -hmm. tomorrow? How about five years from now? Can you use it? And that's the whole deal. So I, I try to teach them about themselves mm -hmm. and relationships they have with themselves and each other and then how to get along with other people and understand them a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So, and then we talk about marriage, we talk about kids mm -hmm. and those kinds of things because yeah. I've, I got a big gigantic rear view mirror. Yeah. That, <laughs> so not very much, my windshield's not very big anymore, but <laughs> my, my uh, rear view mirror is, so. 
Is that the only class you teach here? It's, uh, right. I teach sociology, speech. That's right. And then I mentor now. Okay. I have two periods of mentoring. I go to the middle school, and mm-hmm. I, I'll find kids that are struggling over there. And then uh, I, Mr. Endicott, he and I, he's awesome, by the way. Um, Miss Endicott was here when I first got here. Mm-hmm. Fabulous teacher. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, um, so I work with him, and then counselors. I, I'll help teachers that need help. That's yeah. that's what I that's that that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. When you're this old, you know, <laughs> I've seen a lot. <laughs> well, okay, so I wanted to segue into speech and debate. Um, you kind of mentioned on why it's important. To, like, whenever I I didn't get to take sociology at all in high school. I had a speech class and it was good because, like, I don't know. Something that I always hear with people is like, man, why are speeches important? I'm not going to have to pr- give a presentation ever yet. Like, yes, you will. You will mm-hmm. have to give a presentation at one point or another. When you go into a job interview, it's not a presentation, but you need to know how to speak in front of other people. Um, every day that I teach, which I don't really teach a whole lot. Mine's a whole lot of like, let's just do. But whenever I teach, it's a presentation in front of kids. Sure. Um, you have to give presentations all the time. So kind of, and maybe not even like, but when I, sorry, when I went to college, I had a sociology class and it was okay, but you could tell like that wasn't, it was a theater teacher that was teaching sociology. So they didn't really care a whole Mm -hmm. lot. They just did it and got through with it. So I want to hear more about like, why is this class something that's important for people? And why do people come back and to you for advice on stuff? Um, one, I have a lot of passion for it. If you're talking about sociology, I have a lot of passion for that because I've lived, I'm 64, so I've lived a long time and I've experienced a lot. And I've had some really, I mean, I just told you my mom and dad were 15, 16 years old when I was born. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've come from a, a circumstance that's not usually favorable. I've, so I've lived different things in life. I've been on my own. I left, I graduated at 17 and I left two days before I turned 18 to go to college, got in a car, drove 1,500 miles. I was a, I'm a baby boomer, raised independently. So all, all these experiences that I've had, uh, I didn't get uh, two jobs uh, because of my skin color, believe it or not. Wow. One, because of my skin color and gender, and the other one just because of my, uh, my skin color, wow. uh, which I, I find quite odd being that I'm light-skinned. Well, I'm not really light-skinned, so it's <laughs> a tan, but... Uh, so I've experienced some different things that they have, and then the passion and the, the experience, and I want them to listen, and then you make a decision. Mm-hmm. And then that's what happens, is the stuff that I tell them oftentimes comes true. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I get the phone calls, and I get a lot. Yeah. I, I, I've already, last week I got one. Yeah. And so I, it, I get phone calls from kids, some of them are in their 40s, Last year, I got one from kids I coached from California. Actually, three or four from kids I coached in California that are not kids anymore. Mm-hmm. They're in their 40s. Yeah. So that, the the speech is actually, the class is called professional communications. Mm-hmm. And I approach it that way. I want them to be able to communicate. And they don't understand that communication, only about 7% of communication are the words you say. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. these days you see that. How you say it, your facial expressions and all that, well, they're pretty good at texting and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but you're missing out on so much communication when you when you do that so i giving speeches is not the main thing i do even though they have to do it so i give them different kinds uh, for example if you're doing a testimonial well what if you do a funeral right 
then if you and then I do a speech where they have to read. So I give them different ways so they can f find out what kind of speech. Well, I, I, I'd rather have my do my speech written or they might say, well, I'm better extemporaneous. So I do notes. So I give them all those different things. I also do radio shows mm -hmm. where they have to write a script and they have to they're on a specific time. And that's why I have one of these yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. microphones here. And then I'll I'll say three, two, and start for f and five minutes later, you have to hit that mark. Mm -hmm. So they have to work as a, a group and all that kind of yep. stuff. Uh, I film them, so mm -hmm. put them on so they see what they look like. I make them film the, or record their own speeches. I did started doing that this year because everybody has a phone. Yep. So give your phone to somebody so you get up their speech and somebody's recording you, mm -hmm. and then nobody else sees it but you. They hand it to them and said you have to critique yourself. Yeah, look for what we're talking about. So. I'm trying to get the 34% of the population that their number one fear is public speaking, mm -hmm. not to be from Van Alstine. Yeah, that's what I want, and mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of them have done quite well. Mm. Uh, every time the valedictorian or salutatorian speaks, yeah. I was a former student of mine, mm -hmm. so I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you teach mostly freshmen, right? Uh, the the sociology class of juniors and seniors, uh -huh. and then the two. About well, last year was two, but I have them. I have half the freshman one semester and the other half the second semester. That's right. That's right. So, yes. Well, something that Indicott was talking to me, because Indicott has, it seems like if you're not having a, like an impactful conversation in your class, there's one right down the hall in Indicott's class. Same with the same grade with juniors. There's a lot of like thought provoking stuff that happens. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or prior to the podcast, but she was huge on like, you know, really, she teaches obviously English rhetoric and literature and everything, but really she teaches you how to think for yourself, right. which is such like an, it's like a, it's like when you're watching a movie and you get to the end and the whole plot just twists and you're like, oh, that's what that movie was about. Right. Well, at the end of the it's like, oh, really? Like the class wasn't about English, it was about thinking for myself. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's kind of the same thing with your sociology class. It's just right. learning how to think and talk and even stand up for yourself and what you believe in. Right. And then that's the second semester is the, the debate which there, it's unfortunate. Today's culture is it's um, debating is not really done much anymore. It's usually mm -hmm. just you're shouted down or you're the if you don't voice yeah voice. if you don't agree then you're done. Mm -hmm. But I try to and they do a great. I will give them that they do a great job in class of uh, I teach them what ad hominem attack is where they where they're attacking somebody instead of. Uh, rebutting what they say and doing it with, uh, I teach them logos, pathos, mm -hmm. and and ethos, you know, Aristotle's things, and you know, why are you coming from the way you? How can you defend yourself uh, when you listen? So listening, and then uh, being able to intelligently respond, mm -hmm. and uh, learn how to do that. And then you have to listen to somebody that you disagree with, but you got to listen to their points. So mm -hmm. I, um, what I think personally is not not that it's not what it's about because i'm old i am from two generations i mean really i mean i'm i could easily be your father i'm yeah you're you're 11 years younger than my youngest child uh -huh. so uh maybe I'm three generations i don't know so i i don't expect anybody to think like i do yeah because i have way too much you know rear view mirror mm -hmm. uh, that I, or rear yeah rear view mirror so uh i want them to be able to use what they have forever yeah and then that's good mm -hmm. um i want to talk about well i want to talk about why sports are important because that's some one thing that you said you got you wouldn't have gone to college unless right. it was for athletics mm -hmm. and i just off of my observations for the past four years here three years here athletics is huge here 
and um, when I I went to school at McKinney High School, and athletics were okay. Like we had a good baseball team. Um, football was very mediocre. Soccer was good, but like as it, like we were never like going to state. And mm-hmm. here at VA, like this past year, we went cross country, went to state. Volleyball went to state. Last year, baseball went to state. Track won state. Um, like talk to me about why athletics is important. Not necessarily important, but like, why can it be like such a good outlet for kids? Well, how is it for you, and how can it be for those kids? Well, one, it gives it other than quote unquote giving you something to do. Mm-hmm. You are forced to uh, work with other people if you do that kind of sport. Uh, you have to learn how to follow directions. You have to learn how to possibly lead if you're put in that scenario, or if you have the the capability of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is difficult. You have to learn how to lose. Yeah. You have to learn that life's not always fair. You mm-hmm. know, learn how to handle uh, so many, and, and it comes out in your real life. I have failed so many times in my life. I've been fired twice by the same school, mm-hmm. by the same school, fired twice. And I got fired because of ha- things that happen where, where somebody wants somebody else to be in a situation you're in. So, okay. Yeah. And so... It's, it teaches you to get up when you're knocked down. It teaches you to prepare. Mm-hmm. It teaches you to, um, to um, join, join with somebody and row the boat. There's so many positives to it. And so that's, that's why. <laughs> that's why it's, it's, it is the, one of the main reasons that, um, that a lot of kids go on. Mm-hmm. And, and do. I'm one of them. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Probably I've probably gone to work. Yeah something important for me was when I was in high school, I was average at sports. I wasn't super good, um, but I liked it. And my friends were like, hey, listen, we're going to play, make, make an ultimate Frisbee team. And I was like, that's so stupid. I'm not going to play Frisbee. That sounds so lame. And then they were like, no, 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 come out, come out, come out. So eventually, after like a month of blowing it off, thinking it was super lame, I was like, I'll go out and try it. I tried it and I loved it. Ultimate is so much fun. And for people who have never heard of or played Ultimate or any, seen Ultimate, it's super, it's it's pretty athletic. Like you have to, it's running, it's jumping, it's seven on seven. I'm played on a, like a football, soccer type field. And um, if I have the Frisbee, all my team's running around and I have to throw the Frisbee to someone else. Um, when they catch it, they can't move and they have to pivot like in basketball. And so you're trying to like ticky-tack, progress the disc down the field and eventually catch it in the end zone. Um, and so it can be, like the simplest way to think about it is just keep away, from the other team with the intention of catching in the end zone. Um, so anyway, so I played in high school and we were really good. And then when I went to college, my college didn't have a team. And so I helped make this team and we were bad. We were so bad. And so <laughs> in high school, we won all the time. And so when we went to college, I had to learn how to lose. And I was the sorest loser. Um, one thing that in ultimate it's, uh, it's uh, there's no refs. So it's self-officiated. Uh. So you have to like, and pick up basketball. If there's a foul, you call a foul. And so it's very, like, it's based off of what's called the spirit of the game. You have to be a good sport. And, like, losing to me wasn't an option, so I would call all the fouls, and I would be that jerk on the field who no one wanted to play with just because I hated to lose. (laughs) And so finally, my senior year, we had finally put together a team that was somewhat worthwhile. And I had learned how to lose, so I was okay. Like, when we lose, we learn how to we learn how to move on from it. We learn what the heck we did wrong, what we can do better, and it's okay. like losing is not the end of the world, especially in Ultimate Frisbee. It's not the end of the world <laughs> if you lose an Ultimate Frisbee game. Right. And so, anyway, I'm 
making this way longer than it should be. After I graduated, I started playing club, which is basically like semi-pro, and the team that I was on was really good, and we were winning. And I was like, finally, like, I've learned how to lose, and whenever we did lose, it was like once a tournament, which is like once or twice a weekend. And I don't know, like I had learned so many lessons, like when you lose, like it's not the end of the world, and you can do so much stuff from that. I don't even know why I'm still talking about this, but like when you said learn how to lose, that just kind of struck a cold right. with me. And compete. Yes. You know, it, one thing, it, some people b don't believe in competition. Well, life's very competitive. And so uh, I'm not a, definitely, I mean, I'm an old man. I'm not a everybody gets a trophy person in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So No, I'm sorry. Some people win and some people lose. And mm -hmm. when you learn how to lose, then you learn that what can I do to win? Well, guess what you do? That's real life, right? This isn't working. My marriage, I'm struggling. What? Let's work on that. Exactly, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with my kids. Well. Well, I'm failing right now. I'm a failure. No, you're not. Yeah. Keep working. Mm -hmm. Keep swimming. Yeah. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. um, so with sports, obviously, you have a leadership. You have captains. Um, some people make it their whole goal to be the captain of the whatever team. Um, and when they don't meet that goal, it could be it could be captain of the football team. It could be drum major. It mm -hmm. could be yearbook editor. It could be whatever. Producer of ATV. It doesn't matter. When you don't meet it, meet it. When you don't meet it, they kind of feel like they failed. Well, A, talk to me about why it's why leadership is important and why being a follower is almost equally as important as being a leader I'll, I'll tell you, I had a conversation with coach best that was uh, pretty interesting we were talking about the lack of leadership in kids the in the numbers because I and of course I'm coming from a time where basically parents would kick you out of the house so we were we were run we ran our own thing just like your ultimate frisbee frisbee no officials mm -hmm. well today kids parents are officials since a kid's three years old parents are involved in all their sports all their activities yeah. their coaches so they're always being coached well they're it it cuts down their opportunities to quote unquote be a leader mm -hmm. so it really has lessened the numbers just because they're so used to doing what they're told to do mm -hmm. instead of Okay, just like when you put kids in a group and say, hey, I need you to go do this. Mm -hmm. Kids, all, you notice that the kids, somebody, some leader steps Someone's up in there. Do it. And some kids have a proclivity for it. Mm -hmm. There are personality traits that are leisure, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a good leader. You've got to be trained how to do that. Because I think that the best leaders are servant leaders mm -hmm. that are, will do just as much work as you do, that are in it for the, the good of the group and are willing to pull the weight too, not just boss people around. Yeah. If we only had leaders, then that would be horrible. Yeah. So the follower part, you need followers. In fact, followers, good followers tend to be good leaders. And if you ever get in a situation where maybe the, the natural leaders by their personality, nobody's there. It's the ones who are mostly followers. Well, there's going to, the best follower will step up and lead. Mm -hmm. because it's their turn, so to speak. Not that, that a leader is any better than the follower because the followers usually do all the work. Mm -hmm. And so the followers are better listeners generally. You think about your classrooms. The, the kids that, don't, that you don't hear and you don't see, but the work's always there and it's always good, mm -hmm. those are great followers. Yep. And so those are the people I, I mean, I appreciate both because you need, you need it all. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the proclivity for leadership, then learn how to be a leader. And that's our job yep. is to help. And then if you're if you're not a leader, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because most people aren't. Mm -hmm. And so pe those are the people that get the work done. So yeah. you can hone your uh, your 
communication skills and you can get be a better listener and then you know yeah. those are the people who usually have a smart leader will always go to their people and say is there a better way to do what we're doing mm -hmm. and that's why coaching uh, coaching with coach miller is awesome yeah. because he's he is probably one of the best servant leaders i've been around and he's not very old mm -hmm. so that's pretty awesome wow. mm -hmm. i was a i was an intern for a church in wichita falls after i graduated and um <clears throat> one thing they were like was if you everyone of course everyone that i've come across like actually that's not true a lot of kids are like i want to be a leader which is true like i feel like most people have that drive and to become a leader or step up in some way um, but the church that I was interning with, um, they kind of told us, they were like, if you, the, the, like, the main thing that qualifies you to be a leader is if people are following you. Mm -hmm. If you don't have people following you, then you're not a leader. Right. And that's okay. Like, we had four interns at the church, and one of them was desperate to be a leader. Like, they just wanted to have some control, wanted to have some say, and they were so just, they desired that, um, that role of being a leader, but no one was following them. And it took them a long time to realize, like, it's okay to not be a leader because they're super, super important. They needed to do to, they didn't do everything else that right. other people didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, if, if, if you are someone who's questioning, like, am I a leader or not? Like, ask yourself, who's following me? And I feel like that's a pretty defining quality. Like, am I a leader or not? Yes or no? It's like one of those flow charts. It's like, yes or no? One of those two. <laughs> um, okay. Um, when you walked in here, you gave me you gave me the book that you've written. Um, talk to me about like the inspiration behind you. T tell the viewers what the heck your book is about and what you're doing now with it. Okay, um, the first I wrote a book uh, called When It Rains, and years and years and years ago, I was teaching in California, and and kids that would take my class said, "Coach, you need to write a book." I'd buy it. I'd buy it, and about the stuff that I would teach in class. So I started that. I started to write one, mm -hmm. and it was. I even had a title for it. it as "Parenting Matters," you should hear what your kids say to me. And I wrote four chapters, and I hated every minute of it. Just put it away. I was doing a star test several years ago. Well, it's 2000. I I think I published it in 17, uh, and uh, I was doing a star test, and it hit me like a bam put what you would put in the other book into a character. Hmm. So I developed a character, and uh, as I started doing that, I, it, this, these flood of ideas of where to take this character. And so, and then I got the idea, well, why don't I just use names of people that I know? Mm -hmm. So nearly every person in that book, nearly, not all of them, but nearly every person in that book, that name is somebody that I've known in my lifetime. Yeah. And so it, if, if you read it, you'll recognize some names because they're Van Alstine names. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I, since I published it, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, Miss Seavers, who was here, mm -hmm. uh, the librarian, the she was my editor. Mm -hmm. uh, that cover was a former student of mine mm -hmm. that did the cover, which I thought was awesome. And that was her first sh shot nice. at it. Um, my son did the back cover. I did the, and, and I self-published and it sells on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so about it was December I've been ever since then I've wanted how I want to do how do I want what do I want to do what do I want to do do I want to go take the character father do I want a totally new character mm -hmm. and it hit me I'm gonna do a prequel mm -hmm. so I'm doing a prequel on why is the kid his name is Donnie in the that book his name is Donnie why is Donnie the way he is 
Well, parents have a huge influence. And so I'm, the story that I'm doing now is about his father, James. Mm-hmm. And so there, um, it's um, his life. Yeah. And so there are a few characters that I have back in it, and then I have new ones. And one of them is named Mark Campbell. And, yeah, and he is, uh, he is the, um, the PA announcer or the sports announcer which is uh, for uh, Ole Miss Rebels, yeah. which is where James is going to college. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I've used some, some names uh, again. There are ones that I use, the other one that I can't use again because they haven't been introduced yet because this yeah. is a prequel kind uh-huh. of thing. So because of the COVID and because of my time, and you had asked me when we're off – off the thing, am I bored? I'm not. Uh, I've I just started this morning, chapter 29. Yeah. So since I've written, the other one took me 18 months, mm-hmm. and from December to now, I've written 28 28 completed chapters. Wow. And my editors this time are my two daughters. Uh-huh. So what I do is I send I send each one of them when I finish a chapter, yeah. and they because they'll tell me bluntly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the type of editing that you need. You need people to be honest with you, right. and tell you the truth. Oh yeah, I, I'm afraid. To, I, I'm afraid to give it to Miss Endicott uh, because <laughs> <laughs> when uh, that's 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 right. Oh man, I don't know about that. But I've 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 always told Karen. I said, Karen, you as much as you read, you need to write. Uh-huh. See, I, I'm not a, a bucket list person. I don't have to do anything before I die. I'm going to die soon, mm-hmm. and. So, but this, this was one. I wanted to see if I could do it. Yeah. You know, I, it, you know, it's just something I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I did it. So I've now I'm, and I'll write. It's just, you know, I, I, I actually, believe it or not, I pray before I write it um, that what I'm writing is accurate in, in the character, mm-hmm. you know, that type of character, because it matters to me. Yeah. It matters to me the 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 character of my mm-hmm. my guy. Yeah. And, uh, so it's 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 fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And if you're a reader, which I don't think you are, because I think I listen to the other podcasts. I'm not that big of a reader. <laughs> well, you might not ever get I to that I book. I want to read this because I'm a character <laughs> in the prequel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you learn a little bit. <laughs> but that's that's uh, that's what I've done, and I I have no idea what I'm going to be done. I've already wrote two things I've learned because I have not been formally taught how to write. Uh-huh. Um, I was told, don't write before you're 40, but that was, uh, that was um, Steve Farrar. He's a pastor in Stonebriar in um, Frisco, and he, I was at a Bible study they had, and that's, he was a writer, and he, he just popped that out there, not like it's an official thing. Mm-hmm. And then the other says, write from what you know, and then write your last sentence first. Hmm. So I've already written my last chapter. Yeah. I wrote the last chapter first, mm-hmm. so I know exactly where I'm going yep. to. So I'll know when I'll be done, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's anyway. awesome. How many have you like? Have you made any money off of this book? Um, it sold on Amazon, and then the the uh, I sold some to kids, or, or not just kids, adults too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just uh, they told me bring some to school, and so. I just sold some here. Yeah, a little bit. Not, you know, it's not a... Nothing worth it. That wasn't, you know, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a money grab. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. No, it's, it was a, a heart thing. I just wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I might, I might try to, to go through a regular publisher this time. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, That'd be cool. You know, it was, but it's, it, you know, the, the reviews, there's, there's a few reviews on Amazon, and they're mm-hmm. all real positive. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it, I'll leave one. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to jump down to um, the game that we have. Okay. So, you're a big football guy. Um, this was inspired by Coach Emery, who gave me, who was like, pick your favorite lineup of whatever. But I tweaked it to be, um, make a lineup of, or the game is make a football lineup from teachers. And so we're going we're gonna to go through our quarterback. You get one quarterback, one wide receiver, one running back, one tight end, one offensive lineman. Okay. And obviously, we could pick the most athletic people to be that. So we're going to, the, ca- the caveat, did you use that word right? Caveat? Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Yep. Is, um, so obviously these positions, is, it's so much psychological that you have to, you, no one can just be a quarterback. Like, you can't just be a super athlete and be a quarterback or wide receiver. You have to have specific um, mental, like, not stats, but like mental abilities that sure. help you out. Right. Um, so as I'm completing my list, which I didn't finish and you did, um, can you just kind of talk about like some specific qualities that coaches look for in these uh, positions? Okay. If, if, if we were, if everybody was exactly the same size, all right. So if we take away athleticism uh, out of it or the, you know, those kinds of things, then the linemen are the people who get the job done. Most people that aren't involved in football don't realize how important those people are. You cannot have a good football team without good linemen mm-hmm. on the both sides of the ball. You can't. Yeah. So you need to have selfless individuals who are willing to do the um, behind-the-scenes work that's not easy in any way, shape, or form. The expectations are really high. You're, you're not going to a certain um, spot every time. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to pull. Sometimes you have to block backside. Sometimes you have to pass set. Sometimes you have to go to a linebacker. Some, mm-hmm. There's so many different things to do. And then the defense doesn't always stand still. Sometimes yeah. they move. So they're, they're moving or they're stunning. So you have to be able to do that. So that kind of person has to be selfless. They have to be intelligent. And they have to be... Um, uh, just willing to to be an integral part of what's going on without the accolades. Mm-hmm. So that's what alignment does. Yeah. And then uh, the receivers uh, are have to be people who are willing to be very very precise, because if you're running a route, the quarterback's got to know where you're going, and if you don't run the route correctly, then you're you're going to have you're going to struggle. It matters, every little detail. So you have to be detail-oriented to be that. And so the people I chose, I felt like were of both of those, the linemen and the receivers. Uh, tight end has to be somebody who is almost a both. That, that person has to be versatile because they're a tight end, they're standing right next to the tackle. Mm-hmm. So they have to be linemen sometimes, yep. and sometimes they have to be a receiver. Okay. Um, your running backs have to be people that um, are – um, willing to take punishment because you're going to get it. Yeah. And you have to be so quick on your feet that if you're not, you're going to get, well, mm-hmm. it won't be good. Yeah. No, it's bueno. Right? <laughs> Squashed. And then the quarterback, the quarterback has to be, uh, the responsibility on a quarterback is immense. You have to be uh, smart. You have to be cool and poised under pressure, uh, those kinds of things matter. You have to be able to um, 
uh, adapt <laughs> to mm -hmm. circumstances when somebody's not where they're supposed to be. There's a lot of things, and you're you're the one that's going to get all the you're going to get most of the accolades, but you're also going to get most of the blame. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a a tough uh, mental uh, exterior in and interior yeah. <laughs> to to be a quarterback. So okay, okay, I finished my list. Okay, hopefully everyone knows the criteria for this. Um, we're going to do the same. Uh, thing that I did with with uh, Burkhalter. I pick, you pick, you pick, I pick. I okay. Back and forth. Got it. Okay. So you want to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver type just down the list like that? Whatever you want. Okay, okay, okay. We'll do um, – yeah, we'll do that. Do you want first pick or you want me to have first pick? You can have first pick. Okay, I'll have first pick. Um, so quarterback, I'm looking for someone, a lot of leadership, um, someone who can give, give orders, someone who can take criticism. Um, and so my first pick – at quarterback, starting at quarterback, the first pick in the 2020 football teacher draft is Coach Guerrero. Good choice. Thank you. My first pick is somebody who on, on this campus handles responsibility and a lot of it uh, is uh, willing to do the work, is, is a great leader, and uh, that is uh, very cool under pressure, and that's Jana Tinsley. Nice. Dang it. Oh, one more thing. If you pick Tinsley, I can't get Tinsley. Gotcha. Okay. Dang it. I had Tinsley later. Ah, <laughs> crap. I don't know what to do there. Okay. Uh, you get running back first. You get okay. running back. Uh, my first running back is Becky Bearden mm. because Becky knows angles <laughs> because of that. <laughs> so she knows where she would know where to run and she can take a beating and uh -huh. she, and she can handle, she can handle it. So that's why I picked Becky Bearden. Okay. Um, my running back, sometimes some, some coaches believe in the philosophy that your running back has to um, be short um, because you're lower to the ground. You, you, can, you can take hits easier. Uh, like, you, like you were saying, um, you have to be able to take a beating. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in this guy's first year, he took a beating from so many people. And so I'm taking uh, Mr. Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> it also helps that he's short. Yeah. Uh, okay, wide receiver, wide receiver. Okay, I've got two on the board. Crap. Um, so one thing that you and I talked about earlier was a wide receiver has to be has to know how to take direction and um, has to be very strict with their routes. If they if they mess up on a route, it's 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 not good because the quarterback's gonna throw the ball somewhere else. Dang it, I've got two here. I feel like I'm gonna take this one from you, and I don't even care. Uh, give me Miss Endicott. <laughs> You took it from me. <laughs> Is that who you had? Well, I had actually, actually, I had her at tight end, but I, you said I can't have her. So <laughs> I had Tinsley at tight end. <laughs> well, we're even then. <laughs> okay, um, my wide receiver. Uh, is somebody who is definitely going to make sure sh uh, the routes are run properly and they're going to be where they're supposed to be, and that's Mary O'Daniel. Okay. All right. She is uh, precision. Okay, give me your tight end. My tight end was Karen. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to give you a different tight end, and that will be Anna Champlin. Okay. Anna Champlin, one, she could be, she was actually, I'm moving her from wide receiver because that's where You're I had her. But you, Well, it, when, when we did that, when you sent that, I thought I had to make the whole team. Uh -huh. So I did, <laughs> but I didn't know you were going to take my players from me. So, so uh, anyway, 
uh, I could if I didn't make Anna the tight end, I can make her my offensive coordinator because the the playbook would be phenomenally pretty and <laughs> precise and laminated, and I mean it would be awesome. Anyway, yeah. she would she's tough and she would she's intelligent to handle both the blocking assignments and the receiving routes. Mm-hmm. So I would pick Anna Champlin. Okay. Um, so my tight end, which was going to be Tinsley, because Tinsley teaches about a bajillion things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's perfect. you got to be versatile. Well, I'm flexing my backup wide receiver, who I was going to pick, over my tight end. Um, this person also teaches multiple things. Um, they don't even quite relate over to each other. Um, but it's disciplined, um, takes direction. Uh, knows how to think for himself. Sometimes the tight end's got to pick which one to block. Um, so I'm going with Andrus. Hmm. Dang, so the English department's pretty much all gone, except for Thomas. Um, okay, offensive line. Okay, I got the first pick. I got mm-hmm. the first pick. Selfless, smart, um, probably strong. Oh, yeah, this person's super strong. They beat cancer. Uh, give me Weaver as my offensive lineman. Nice. Okay, you're up. Um, if I had to pick one offensive lineman and I had to put um, – and, and I say, okay, what what do the place – I put him at left tackle for a right-handed quarterback because that's the person that's got to protect the mm-hmm. quote-unquote blind yep. side. Mm-hmm. So uh, the person I put it – I have one at each position. Mm-hmm. But the one I put at left tackle, uh, I believe would – I would definitely be willing to have protect me, and that's Lakin McMurrell. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, because I, I, she's. I mean, I can see it in her eyes. She's no nonsense. As far as if 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 you tried to bring it, uh-huh. she she's there. Yeah. Yep. I see that. <laughs> I would I would definitely, I definitely wouldn't mind having her protect my back uh-huh. blind side. Okay. The last position we had was you brought this up. You said a cheerleader. Uh, what do you think? You can have the first pick on cheerleader, which I feel like this will win you this game, which annoys me. <laughs> but you can have the first pick at cheerleader. Well, uh, Do you even need to say it? That, I, no, feel like I think everybody knows. knows. <laughs> and the thing is, if you had if you had Ella Burkhalter as your head cheerleader, you don't need cheerleader. You don't need any <laughs> others. You just need that one <laughs> because I have no, you know I. I make I make fun of her. I said, "Where do you buy whatever you're taking? I want some of that." So, <laughs> what supplements do you take? Cause they're awesome. <laughs> I, that is, you cannot you cannot see her or be around her without smiling. You just can't. So the energy yeah. that she brings is amazing. Uh huh. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, my cheerleader, I had okay. So it's lower energy, but when I think cheerleader, like they 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 get you in your feels. They make you feel like you can do anything in the world. Um, so I got every time after an episode of VATV comes out, this person walks down to my room, opens the door, and says, Mr. Campbell, that was the best episode of VATV ever. So my cheerleader, I'm picking Mr. Endicott, um, mostly because of that uh, attribute he has, but also because his wife's on the team. His wife is my wide receiver, and so he's going to be cheering extra loud. Right. So I feel like I've got Good some, point. Got some Good bonus point. power right there. Not only that, and everybody will see your cheerleader. Yeah, that's right. He's seven <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> okay, so just to recap, quarterbacks, I've got Coach G, you've got Tinsley. Running back, I've got Mr. Dennis, you've got Bearden. Uh, wide receiver, I've got Miss Endicott, you've got Miss O'Daniel. Tight end, I've got Andrus, you've got Champlin. Offensive lineman, I've got Weaver, you've got McMurrell. 
and then cheerleader, I've got Mr. Endicott, you've got Burke Halter. That's it. That's a pretty good lineup. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good team. Pretty evenly matched. I'll put yeah. the I'll make a little thing and I'll put it on Twitter and then we'll see who who would win that. Who would win? I feel like you might win just because you've got Burke Halter. Burke Halter wins freaking everything. <laughs> okay. We're gonna transition over to a mailbag because we're kinda going a little we're kinda kinda slow. So I'll uh I'll I've got six questions, but I'll narrow it down to I don't know, I'll narrow it down to like three or four. Um, the first one is from an alumni here. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why this is on my mailbag. Uh, Zach Davis wants to know if you remember him. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Prove it. How am I going to prove that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say, put it this way. Zach Davis is one of the uh, – I have I, I counted. Uh, I went back and counted. I have taught near almost 11,000 students in wow. my career. Uh-huh. So – um, now, if Zach walked up to me right now and said, hey, do you remember me? Yeah. Uh, he probably uh, would get a look at it like, well, let me see. Uh-huh. I recognize faces, uh-huh. and I'll, I'll have to go through my 11,000s for the names. So. And, you'll, and you'll see them, and you'll be like, oh, that's – so I, yeah, I – Yeah, you, the, names, the names don't come to me right away. In fact, I tell students now, first of all, I'm old too. I said, just tell me, do you rem- – say, hey, I'm Zach Davis, mm-hmm. right? Well, Yes. Yeah. Of course, I know now it clicks and everything goes back. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember where they sit and, thing, and things like that, it, depending on which class and where I am. Yep. So, yeah. so for those... He wasn't in my classroom in, the, in where I am now. Yeah. He, so he is the younger brother of Mark Davis, older right. brother of Alyssa Davis. And she, well, her, their mom was the tennis teacher at uh, Leonard. Yes. They, she moved over to Leonard. Right. And Alyssa Davis moved over to Leonard. Right. And she would have graduated two years ago. Yeah. Uh, my first year. So probably no one on this podcast knows who Zach Davis is besides you. And I do, yes. I went to college with Zach. That's how I know him. Did you really? Yeah, I went to college with Zach. Oh, my gosh. And funny, funny story. So he invited me to help out with the D-Now here in like 2012, I think. And so I stayed at his house. I stayed in Mark's room. And his mom was the tennis coach here. And so, of course, if you stay at someone's house in their room and you're friends with them and you're a teenager, you're going to snoop. So I started snooping all throughout Mark's room. And I open up his closet, and he's got like eight of uh, the same hoodie that says VA Tennis on it. And I was like, he's not going to know one's missing. So I steal one from him. And I start wearing it. And I wore it all throughout college. And sure enough, I get a job here in 2018. So it was prophecy. <laughs> I was actually, um, the class I was, I helped out with sixth graders of the DNL group. So I was um, the DNL leader for Ben Williams, Gavin Ritchie. Um, Austin Moore, uh, Charlie, I don't know his last name. He moved to Allen. Super tall kid. Um, oh, Charlie, um, his dad was a, was the uh, basketball coach. Probably. He's mm-hmm. massive. I don't know. Yeah, he, yeah is the, I was, he, he is or he is the basketball coach. I was the D-Now leader for <laughs> at, that At Allen. Yeah. So it was funny because whenever Ben was here, he was like, did you help out at the D-Now? I said, yeah. And so we had a picture together before I even knew him, which is weird. Okay, next question. Um, Mallory Trantham wants to know, what's the secret to a long-lasting relationship? Huh. If you... I've been married to Donna for 44 years. Um, uh, God in the center. Mm -hmm. And uh, using that vertical relationship for your horizontal relationship... If I try to honor God the way I treat my wife and she does the same, your chances are way, way better. 
Mm-hmm. If, if you try to do, when, that's, that's why I became a Christian, because I tried to do things by myself, because I was taught that way, to be independent and all that. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. That's when I, that's why I, that's when it hit me. Oh my gosh, something's wrong. Yeah. Well, when you're on the same page, we were on the same page raising the kids, which I suggest for you, uh, because kids have a, an ability to separate you. So uh, they will do that. We're pit you one against the other. So if you, mm-hmm. if you're, on the same page, that's helpful. Um, if you have the best interests of the other over yourself, mm-hmm. uh, not making yourself the point, because it's extremely, in fact, this is on my wall. I don't have much on my wall, but it says, uh, it, it's easy to be offended if you're the point. Mm-hmm. And I have to put that on my wall for me because I'm a very prideful person and I don't want to be the point. So, especially with her. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I love her. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. And it, it, it's very difficult, but it's, incredibly worth it mm-hmm. um, Iris Martinez wants to know what advice do you have for young aspiring writers um, when you get ideas write them down mm-hmm. put, put them have a place to put your ideas um, and whether whether they seem silly or not it, don't even worry about that mm-hmm. uh, don't be fearful it you can and I I really big on not being fearful because I see what fear does to people. So I have to work that through myself too, is I don't be afraid to go for it mm-hmm. and write from what you know, tell a story, tell it like a story, you yeah. know, where somebody, where it, it, it turns in, in your mind, you can see these people and you can almost recognize them. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I tried to do. And um, if you're not enjoying it, you're probably not going to, do as well as you would want. Enjoy what you're writing. In other words, talk about something you really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, Parker Weaver wants to know, how is football going to look different this year? Well, just about every team we play is different than we play because we're the smallest 4A school in the state mm-hmm. playing 4A district. So it'll look different where we're playing. <laughs> That's kind of strange. But as far as our approach to it, we're going to go to the roar. Mm-hmm. We're going to run to the roar. And, you know, we're not going to back off, so uh, it's going to be difficult. There's no doubt. But so that the whole purpose for me for athletics is using as a tool because I know I'm going to use whatever I learn from it both ways mm-hmm. for my future. Same thing with these kids. So let's use this. Let's use our successes to show how did you work together and how well – why did you get – that's why. Why, why do we fail? Well, were, were they better or did we help? And then mm-hmm. you just work on that. So uh, it's only going to look different in that regard. The way we're approaching it is no different. Yeah. No different. That's good. Yeah, because you guys – I talk about this with uh, Emma Donald and Kate Carson a lot. We're losing a lot of guys next year for football. Mm-hmm. Losing Cam, Draylon, oh, yeah. uh, both quarterbacks, Quarter- yeah. running back. <laughs> losing yeah. a lot of, of lost, skill yes. players. Linemen. Linemen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are, we are going to be different. But y'all's JV was so good last year. JV did a good job. Did, right? you get, so. did they go undefeated? No, no, no. That was the year prior. No, we, but we've been, we've been, we were, we had a good JV. Mm-hmm. We had a good JV. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big believer in preparing. Sure. Like, the younger kids to embrace those, embrace the spotlight when it gets big. Right. So I'm a big JV guy. And mm-hmm. I feel like JV obviously gets overlooked because they get the, I don't know, they get the hand-me-downs, you know, but if you don't have a good bank almost of yeah. athletes, of recruits 
then you're really setting yourself up for failure. Well, you're, you're speaking to the choir because VA's approach is that in all the sports, mm-hmm. is the JV matters. Yeah. And yeah, they don't get it, but your, your time will come. That's part of it too, is yeah. you know, your time will come. How, how about you work, work to the point where you make us take you? Mm-hmm. That's what you should do, and yeah. that's what we all do. And when we, we bring kids up, we've had JV kids that end up, come up every single year. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you're not, just because you're on JV doesn't mean you have to stay there. Yeah. You, know, you can make us say, hey, you were wrong, let me show you why, so mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, last one. I probably shouldn't have saved this one for last. Uh, it was just <laughs> stupid. It was Jacob Gallardo. He said, what was it like having me in class for the last time this year? Hmm. Because I've got him next year. Yeah. Well, you're going to enjoy Jacob Gallardo. <laughs> All right? He will. Here's one thing about Jacob. He knows exactly where the line is, and he will put his toes on it every day. <laughs> and every once in a while, he'll cross it. And then for me, he'll run from me. After he crosses the line, he knows when he crossed it, and then he runs for me. So, uh, Jacob, if you're out there, if you listen to this, um, just because you're not in my class doesn't mean I can't find you. <laughs> all right. That's all I had. Um, I like to give the teachers a little spotlight, uh, like 30 seconds, although that's never really applied to Burkhalter or Endicott. They both went way <laughs> over. Um, so... Do you have something like on your heart, on your mind that you want to just talk about? Uh, how about, this is to you. Okay. Uh, you're going to be a dad. Mm-hmm. And as you're raising your children, don't get hung up on behavior modification. Get hung up on heart change. Mm-hmm. So if you see your kid's heart needs to be changed, there's lots and lots of kids who act the right way, mm-hmm. but their heart's not doing it. Yeah. And if they don't match, then don't do it. So work on your kid's heart. Uh, not the behavior will follow if the kid's heart is right. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would suggest to you. That's cool. I I have seen people will DM the VATV Instagram saying like my family loved listening to this episode. So any parents out there who listen, please, I'm begging you, give me as much parental advice as you can because I don't want to screw this up. Okay, hey, let me just hear that. You sound like a praying man. <laughs> And that's what you do. Uh-huh. And you stay, you and your wife, stay on the same side of the, or same side of the boat. Mm-hmm. And you'll be just fine. It's, yeah. it's not, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I was only 21 when I started. Uh-huh. So, um, and 25, 24, 25, when, I, when I, the last one was born. Wow. So I was still way younger than uh-huh. you. But... Uh, it's a it's a two man team. Mm-hmm. You have to do it if if you do it two man because those are those people that have to do it by themselves. I have so much admiration for them. Mm-hmm. Incredibly difficult because it's yeah. difficult, but it's rewarding. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to say the word no mm-hmm. because not everybody gets a trophy. Yeah, so they need to learn that. So that's cool. I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on the episode. Uh, this yeah, is super I enjoyed awesome. It. Right, thank this you. is super cool. I hope kids listen to this and teachers listen to this and kind of come away. They don't just press play and like play video games, but I hope they like actually listen to the words that we're saying. Thanks. So thanks for coming on. All right.